Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to 630 Jet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, how are you doing tonight? Oh, it's Friday evening, everybody. You're probably getting crazy. Of course, 630 Jed, the play-by-play home of the Edmonton Elks and the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers' preseason schedule was announced today. It starts Sunday, September 24th. They're going to play Winnipeg at Rogers Place. It ends Friday, October 6th at Rogers Place when the Seattle Kraken are in town. Eight games in total. They got two against Winnipeg, two against Vancouver, two against Calgary, and two against Seattle, which is probably going to be typical of most Oilers' preseason schedules in the foreseeable future. So uh, there we go with that. Before we uh, get to our, ne- our our next guest, well, this is sort of related to our next guest. Kellen has a very little special piece of uh, audio he's going to play here. Braden Holtby backstopped the Washington Capitals to their first ever Stanley Cup victory, posting a 15-7 record on the way. He grew up playing minor hockey in Lloydminster before making the jump to the WHL's Saskatoon Blades. Greg and Tammy were in Vegas when the Capitals secured the Cup in Game 5. As soon as they uh, third period came on and they scored. And All right, so that is wow, the voice of my next guest, my colleague Brendan Escott. What is that from? Lloyd Minster somewhere. That is yes. fantastic. So I actually had the opportunity, and it's not too far out of Lloyd Minster, but it's far enough away, um, to go to his parents' house out on the ranch and uh, and look at his childhood basement the year that he had won the Stanley Cup. So I couldn't actually wrangle him to interview, unfortunately, right. but talk to the family anyway. Great people. And uh, yeah, just a fantastic, uh, fantastic to look back, I guess, and think about how far I've come. I think I sounded a little nervous nervous in that one uh, you didn't know i was gonna play that but i it, there's some there's a lot of bread that escott's content on youtube i was gonna say is that from my youtube page? oh that's from youtube baby spectacular yes uh and so i found that earlier today <laughs> should see the private videos on there <laughs> oh my goodness that's 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 the story for another day that's uh-huh. that's the show i hosted two in the morning oh, okay uh brayden holtby from marshall so that's the thing yes, I, I always that's where it was a, a small town into Saskatchewan from Lloyd and I always am particular with that because having lived and worked in Lloyd Minster for seven years you know it's it's like and, and we're guilty of it too but uh you know sometimes you'll see an NHL broadcast and they'll say oh he's from Edmonton and you're just like well he's actually from Stoney or right. he's actually from Leduc so with the Lloyd guys I'm a, I try to be a stickler <laughs> about that Braden Holtby um he was with the Blades when I was in Lloyd, and he was also a really good baseball player. He was a catcher. Hmm. Uh, and But I'm also that way with Wade Redden, who people always from Lloyd. He's actually from Hillmont, which is a small community north of Lloyd. 
and anyway so those how long were you in Lloyd again uh, as long as I was no I didn't actually work there I had my practicum there which ended up being cut short by a month when I came back here to broadcast hockey for Sherwood Park two weeks later I got the call to work here as well so it wasn't a long stay but I honestly really enjoyed it out there in Lloyd you, well, you did a good job with that story. I did watch the whole thing. Thank I didn't you. just take that snippet. But that, that's, I mean, <laughs> and that's the thing you have to, but it's it's like we talked about, and this is what I said the day 1260 went off the air, and then, you know, Gregor was in on Wednesday, or mm-hmm. Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember, the Wednesday, and, and we talked about it. I mean, it's, you, you got to prioritize local stuff whenever you can, or find local angles for bigger stories. So you're in Lloyd Minster. The Washington Capitals win the Stanley Cup. You'd love to interview Braden Holtby, even over the phone. If you put, unless you have a personal relationship with him, the Washington, you're not going to get him. Because then you have to go through the Capitals, mm-hmm. and they're going to say, uh, well, you know, uh, he has to do all the Washington radio stations and TV stations, and ESPN wants him. So you're 40th on the list. Sorry, you like little Lloyd Minster. So, <laughs> but you have to find ways to localize stories. But you know, that's one thing you get to do: find a parent, find someone who coached them, find a capital. I mean, you're, in that case, it was the parents. Find a Capitals fan. You got to always bring it to the local community. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, obviously more so now than ever. I mean, there's certainly a lot of people out there in different mediums that are, are doing uh, coverage of of local sports. But as as we are sort of the last standing station now with this kind of opportunity with these hours set aside to cover the local scene yeah either to me it's it's stingers and river hawks and all that stuff all summer long and if you're not interested we'll give you a reason to be by the end of it i remember uh and and you gotta think not outside the box necessarily i don't want to make it sound like you have to go crazy and and force ideas into into a story um, but but you, sometimes you have to find different angles. And I remember <laughs> working at Lloyd and Mark Messier retired. So it's like, okay, again, what are we going to say about Mark Messier? <laughs> we, we can't call up Gretzky or Lowe, and if you know the Oilers are having immediate availability, we can't be at it or, or whatever mm-hmm. happened that day. So there was a, a colleague at the station whose husband was a Vancouver Canucks fan. And I so I... I went up to her and I said, hey, uh, what, is, uh, what does Joey think of Messier's tenure with the Canucks? And she's like, well, I, I'm not a big fan. Uh, I, she's like, I don't really know, but I don't think he's a, he's a fan of it. So I got this guy. To, we, met, we met up with this guy and we interviewed him in a Canucks jersey. And of course, and Bob's talked about this on Oilers Now, that Canucks fans do not remember Mark Messier as fondly oh, as Oilers and oh, Rangers fans. Oh, no, well, no. I can tell you, you as, somebody, BC as someone who yeah. grew up there right. with a father who cheered for the Canucks, yeah, he is reviled in that part of the country, which is a shame because having lived here now long enough to understand his legend, uh, that's quite the yeah. contrast. And, and, and he is, like, he's one of the greatest players of all time. For sure. I, that's not an opinion. I think that's objectively a fact. So it is kind of odd that, you know, he had that tenure in Vancouver that th- those fans didn't like. So we interviewed this guy and... He wore his Canucks jersey, and we blurred out his face like you would somebody <laughs> in the witness protection program. You're like, we can't use his real name because most of you are Oilers fans here, Lloyd. But so this guy, anyway. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, it's it was obviously a good place to try out uh, a lot of different things. And like you say, you, you kind of have to take a unique approach just because there's not as much content in a city of 40 or 50 or 60,000 as there is in a city of a million plus. Uh, but there was a lot of ways to, uh, you know, to spend time down at the local community 
community college down there and, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, here I am, uh, better for it, I would say. All right. And you are the, uh, of course, producer of Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. You do the afternoon sports with Chelsea on Ched, and you host the countdown to kickoff for the Edmonton Elks broadcast. You'll be on at 3.30 on Sunday, and then they play the Argos at 5. So uh, you, you went to practice today. Um, how are they going to uh, adjust here? Because Arsenal is out long-term in the receiving core, and Ed Ganey's out long-term in the defensive backfield. So what we know is uh, Kyron Moore, who the team signed in the offseason, Moore is a kick-returning option than a receiver, though somebody who is apt in the receiving game uh, out of Saskatchewan. He's going to step in and play in that role that Arsenal leaves vacant, which is interesting because they're totally different in stature. Arsenal's a big plotter. Once he gets the ball, he's going to run you over. And, and they call Kyron Moore a swerve, and that's because he goes around you. You know what I mean? So that's going to be interesting to watch how he plays but I don't necessarily dislike the idea of a change of pace in the offense. If you can get the ball into his hands early and let him run, maybe that's how you start breaking off some bigger chunk plays. So that's what we're expecting to see on the offensive side of the ball. As far as Ed Ganey goes, using an, uh, pardon me, losing an 11-year veteran on a defensive backfield that was already quite inexperienced is going to take, that's a big hit. But Ganey's the type of guy who will be coaching and captaining from the sidelines, so at least you get that much. I've liked the play of Kai Gray in, in short order here, an interception. Uh, he had a penalty, a pass interference penalty, but, you know, just it, you're trying to learn the league in, in um, kind of a crash course as such, but he's, he's done a great job, and that really hasn't been any of the issue around this team, even though we thought that might be one of the weaker points of the roster. So they're expecting Lucius Birifoy to stay at safety. They're going to have Kai Gray take over the boundary side corner position where, uh, where Ganey was, and then... Um, uh, somebody's coming back in off the the, the roster, Lewis. The new guy, Lewis. Yeah. Yes, well, Lewis. new guy. He's re- he was cut. Re- uh, he was cut off the um, this. I don't know. In the preseason, I guess he was with the team at camp, and then right. injured himself, and they snipped him in May. So he comes back with the team. He says he always knew that was going to happen, and there's guys that that does happen for Jalen Marshall. I guess would be an example of that from last year. All right. So how much of this is just they see how the offense plays and you mentioned early in a game like hopefully something good happens earlier they make something good happen early on offense because it's the whole vibe right it's the calls and texts i've gotten all week uh i mean i was at this client event yesterday with some some chorus clients and a couple of people came up to me and said like what? What are they going to do? Is is are they going with Cornelius? Which they are. Yeah. It's just, man, oh man! Like if it's if it's halfway through the second quarter and it's still zero on the board for the Elks, even if it's only zero or three for the Argos, it's just that tension is going to keep building, right? Yeah, the it's an obvious thing to point to, and while they're trying right now to say that there's other factors as to why there was only 98 passing yards and zero points last week, ultimately the quarterback is responsible for a lot of that. So, you know, it's it, to me they've got to they've got to find a way to just move the ball. They got to get some first downs here, Reed. They can't even get that much going, and uh, it, it's really they can't throw the ball 
they can't pass the ball and they're a fragile group so yeah I think the I've got written here a start is going to be as important in this upcoming game as it's been in recent memory because of how fragile they are how quickly it could go downhill how long is the leash of Cornelius if I'm the coach probably one turnover Maybe one series if it really is that bad, but ultimately they have a lot more faith than that. So I would suspect we'll see them for probably half the game. Well, and that's and that's what we don't know from Chris Jones is if he is planning on making a move in game if it doesn't go well because I don't think he really. Well, obviously he didn't. He didn't want to take Cornelius out in week two, and some people would have. But now it's so we, like if it were me, I probably would be starting a different quarterback this week. It's not me, and I'm not at practice and don't talk to the guy behind the scenes in the QB room and the coach's room and know everything about the personality. Um, so okay, we we got to trust Jones and and McAdoo and Jarius Jackson, who we're going to hear from a little bit later on. That it, it's Cornelius, but I I would think going into this game, Jones must have a threshold where he's thinking like, okay, this game. Is, is winnable if I change the quarterback. Or I, or sometimes it's a mercy pull. that You just can't watch him suffer anymore out there if he's not playing well. Well, I wonder at what point it becomes about the the greater scope of the team, the defense who is going out there punishing themselves for longer stints on the field than they should be out there because the offense can't get it done because the quarterback is throwing into people's ankles and that sort of thing. Professional football players are going to be able to identify if, if this player is still struggling and they're going to have their own threshold of patience so in the interest of keeping level heads and stopping the infighting and we're at a point already in the season where I worried that that might start to become a problem you don't want to have that be the issue you want to be able to nip it in the butt and so far defense and special teams have been playing pretty well so if the offense can start pulling some weight I think it's going to be awfully important for uh, whatever quarterback it is whether it's Cornelius or Loxley or if Ford ends up in there whatever they have to show that they're out there battling for their teammates as well because it hasn't looked like it in the last game. Another thing that's interesting, now I guess this is maybe me just trying to be as optimistic as possible. Things changed for me a little bit, a little bit last night seeing what BC did to Winnipeg. Sure. They beat them by, what was it, 30 to 6? So that's 24 points. They beat Edmonton by 22. Winnipeg didn't get a touchdown. They did get points. And last night was a physical beating by the BC Lions. I know it's only week three. I know it's a long season in a, in a league that allows two-thirds of the team into the playoffs. But to me, that was a statement by the BC Lions. It's like, okay, you shut out the Elks. Now you went into Winnipeg and held Winnipeg to, to six points. Um, so, you know... That maybe changes the perspective of that shutout for me a little bit, and it's still a big if. But if Edmonton can beat Toronto, with, and then with one of their two losses being to BC, then maybe I'm a little more optimistic, thinking like, oh, okay, maybe they're maybe they're a little better than they might have looked against the Lions. That's the bright side of it only being week three, right? Even though it does feel like the sky is falling in a lot of ways, I understand. I feel that from the fans in the post game. I even get that sense a little bit from, from the team, but there's 
there's so much track left to run here and uh, and a lot of time left to turn it around. You're right. And I will. I have to agree with you wholeheartedly. The sample size against Edmonton is one thing. That can be a one-off. To turn around and do that to Winnipeg in Winnipeg, that's a statement and a bold one. So I'm not writing an excuse up there for Edmonton, nor do I think they'll do that for themselves. But that's pretty telling of how talented BC actually is. All right. Hey, thanks for staying late. You're obviously here at the here at the station. Yeah, you're usually no done a little uh, little early, so thanks for coming in. Have a great broadcast on uh, Sunday. I will certainly see you at the stadium, sir. Looking forward to it. That is Brendan Escott from Edmonton Elks Football. Does a variety of jobs, but that was the focus of this conversation. He has the countdown to kickoff at 3.30 on Sunday. Game at 5, Elks and Argos. Of course, you can get in touch at 780-496-0063. That's the hotline presented by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. You can follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins. Email the show, insidesports at 630shed.com. Back in a couple of minutes. Hi, this is Ryan Newton Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chat. Halftime now in Hamilton, Montreal leading the Tiger Cats 21-9. Hamilton hit a couple of long passes early that led to field goals, but uh, Montreal definitely the better team. 21-9, they lead it at the half. 780-496-0063. Killen. Hello. What do we have? Tex. Do it. Do it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Beans McQueen texts in and says... Yeah, that's uh, a great name. Uh, they picked up their cam, canned ham t-shirt yesterday, looking good, and Terry Vaughn was one of the best to ever put on the green and gold. Loved Vaughn as an athlete and a person. He was... A, I mean, he was an exceptional uh, receiver. I'm sure a lot of people listening uh, saw him play if you're a little bit younger and, and didn't. Again, not, not a big guy. Uh, but uh, I mean, he could take those short passes, and then he was he was hard to take down. I'm not saying he never caught a deep pass or a medium pass, but he was known for being that underneath guy, and then he could do the damage with his legs and and kind of uh, you know sort of one of the well, they had some great receivers then, right? Uh, you know, Tucker was a great Cup MVP. Other uh, great players. I'm not saying all the names because I got a trivia question. I'm going to get to a little bit later on. Uh-huh. Uh, what else, Kel? Uh, quick one from Cowtown Bob here. Just kind of reiterating what you and Esco were talking about uh, in the last segment there. Hi, Reed. I noticed the bomber, Bombers and Zach Caleros could only put up six points on the Lions last night. Perhaps the Elks are not that bad. Do you think it was a mistake to let go of bets? Yes, I do. I think it was a huge mistake to let go of Betts because he's Canadian. I was curious about that at the time, and now he's one of the best D linemen in the league. Uh, I guess Chris Jones didn't uh, didn't see it that way. Um, uh, somebody said to me today, whose opinion I trust about football, he he and he he, to, he said this to me in the preseason too. He said, "Reed, I know the Bombers are the favorites. I know what they've done. You know, they won in 2019. They won in 2021. No season in." between almost one last year and a lot of continuity but he he did say to me today that he thought a couple guys on the O-line looked old last night against BC and and he said football is the one sport where you can get old pretty quick now it's again it's only one loss for Winnipeg but just something to keep in mind as we move along it's Inside Sports on Chet